Welcome to Talking Trade. I'm Sandy Siegel, president of MEDAY. And I'm Ian Coxhead, University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I am super happy today to introduce and welcome a friend and a colleague of many years, Pradeep Nanungadi, a fellow board member of Milwaukee World Trade and various trade councils, Madison and so forth. So um, we seem to cross paths often, haven't seen you in, in quite a while, Pradeep, so it's really nice to have you on the show. Pradeep yep. is president of Vistar, um, assisting U.S. businesses in exploring and developing business opportunities in India, and a consultant for India doing trade there, setting up a distribution and so forth. So I, I know I've had the pleasure of refer referring numerous clients to you um, and consider you the guru of India. Um, so tell us, Pradeep, um, what is the landscape in, in today's environment of U.S.-India trade and, and business con, um, connections? Well, thank you, Sandy. Uh, thanks, Ian. And I appreciate WISPolitics uh, giving me this opportunity to talk about a, a kind of a hot topic, I would say, in, in the world of trade. So, yeah, the landscape right now in the last, I would say, year and a half to two years has been very positive. Quick background, India has been familiar with doing business with the Western world for about 300 years, whether you call it business or barter or trade or whatever it is, because the British were in India and even before that, Western powers ruled India for many years. It's a shame, it, it's a shame that the US is just discovering India as a manufacturing option and even as a trading partner in non-manufacturing businesses only in the last maybe 30 years. And there are very strong reasons for that. Um, they are the two largest democracies in the world, functioning democracies, different style of democracy, one pattern, India pattern after the British form of democracy, not a two-party system, but I say a 200-party system. But uh, <laughs> India has been a manufacturing hub uh, for a long time, uh, for, but it has been a manufacturing power in the sense that it was entirely focused on domestic consumption. When I was growing up in India, uh, a lot of pro uh, products and components and parts were being made, including automotive. India has had automotive manufacturing for, I would say, at least 60, 70 years, maybe longer, started by the British, but it was all focused on the domestic market. So it's only now that the U.S. is looking at India and it doesn't get much publicity. And I understand why India doesn't promote itself. Unlike China, which is a natural comparison, China grew its economy with a very heavy focus on exports. Uh, India has not done that. It has always been based on domestic consumption. So now that the automotive, uh, the global automotive industry has entered India in the last 30 years, with largely Japanese companies, but some US companies and European companies, everything that follows automotive is also developed to world-class standards. And so now it is available to the Western world for products, parts, and components. So the landscape is looking good. And I think we will talk about that soon in terms of what's happened post the last three years in terms of post China and COVID and all. Absolutely, Pradeep. Yeah. And I do have fond memories of uh, tooling around southern India in, a, in an ambassador automobile, which I, <laughs> which I grew up with in New Zealand. It was called a Morris Oxford back then. Yes. So, uh, so the last two years, the, uh, the US-China trade war has reshaped a lot of bilateral trade relationships. Um, has trade diversion from China been beneficial to Indian exporters, especially in manufacturing? Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Is it getting the slice of the pie that it should be getting? No. And I would blame if, if it was a question of blame. But India has a large role to play in that. It has not promoted itself. You will never see it mentioned in articles alongside Vietnam and other low-cost countries. Again, partly because I think of its being largely focused on domestic uh, supply to domestic manufacturers and OEMs. Mm -hmm. But I would say the second and third generation of these <clears throat> gems of private companies that were started maybe in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, many of those third generation, fourth generation young people were educated in the US or in Australia or in Europe. And they are now expanding their reach to be able to participate in the global manufacturing economy. Mm -hmm. So it's not just in terms of wanting to do business, but also updating their competencies, their, their own internal infrastructures, their factories, the machinery, their processes. As I said, the automotive industry, as you know, in all the countries that it has been big, like US, Germany, uh, small in Australia, Japan, Korea, uh, now China, the automotive industry drives a lot of excellence in manufacturing and practices and pro you know procedures. So you know ISO 9000, all those standards and practices that were launched. Unfortunately, D Deming had to go to Japan to be listened to or heard, but those are now universal across uh, OEMs, but definitely also strong in tier ones and even getting into tier twos. So, so there, if I may interrupt, Pradeep, so are we are we seeing U.S. Uh, importers of automotive parts and components switching supply from China to India? Is that really yes. happening? Uh, I mean, our business, Vistar, mm -hmm. is directly in that space. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't directly sell to or represent our manufacturers in India to automotive uh, OEMs, but to tier ones and also to off-highway equipment and product manufacturers right. like tractors, lawnmowers, snowblowers, ATVs, UTVs, etc. Yeah. A significant yeah. part of our clients are in the Midwest with quite a few in Wisconsin, in central Wisconsin, southeast, southwest Wisconsin, and in Illinois and Iowa. So, you know, the, you know, the big players in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, in, ag, in the ag space and in, in mining and various comp you know, complex machineries. So they are our clients and we are supplying parts, components, sub-assemblies from India to these companies. Terrific. Um, Pradeep, that's really promising and, and very interesting to hear your perspective on, on the next culture and generation. Um, and certainly everyone's been pushed to diversify supply chains, uh, particularly now with some of the challenges we're, we're having out of Asia. So what do you think the future holds, you know, opportunities, constraints, how badly, you know, does GSP um, renewal or, the, you know, not getting renewed impact you? And, you know, do you still, you know, are you still encouraged for, for future growth? Absolutely. <laughs> I have to bet on that for my own business. Right, right. <laughs> but I have to say, in the last few years, our business has doubled, and we're expecting it to double from 2021 to 2022. <laughs> and our goal wow. then is to, and our goal is to, now it's from a smaller base, but uh, as the base grows higher, we're still maintaining that growth, and our targets are to triple. And when I say triple, it's not so much my business as much it's an extension of our suppliers export from India to the US. Mm -hmm. That directly then is impacts our business. So um, we're expecting it to triple from 2022 to 2025. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it's significant and we're setting ourselves some lofty goals. 
but we have transferred those goals to our suppliers in India. I also, before I forget, want to say that India presents a very good opportunity for Wisconsin companies and exports because of our strength in agriculture and agriculture-related right. technologies, equipment, machinery, food processing, technologies, equipment, machinery, and products. So I have got inquiries from India that I've passed on, sometimes to the Department of Ag, and every once in a while I'll hear from Madison also in terms of helping them identify potential companies. There are very, with a population of 1.2 billion, you can imagine, and you know, food products is the core, right? Foods and pharmaceuticals. So there is a huge audience and India has to be more productive and efficient in delivering food products to its end users. So all the way from packaging and food production and storage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I'm sure you're seeing it, Sandy, in your business in terms of uh, the movement of products in and yes. out. Yes, right. no, and I certainly, if you know, GSP is renewed, which we're hopeful will happen, you know, all, all the more, you know, enticing versus significantly high duties um, yeah. on China and elsewhere. So it's very now, promising. That, very interesting to hear. Now, that's an interesting segue because I tell the people in India, if you want to be, that's their aspiration, right? Their economy is now fifth largest in the world. They want to get to be the third. It'll be US, China, India, and a lot of predictions. All the reports that come out by 2030, 2035, that's what it's going to be. Uh, in the, not just the overall GDP and economy, but even in manufacturing, India is threatening to enter the top 10, et cetera. Now, uh, I tell the people in India, you can't be a big boy and then have your hand out for Dole too. So, so <laughs> they should compete without GSP, preferential treatment, et cetera. I understand preferential treatment for protected, like, you know, uh, handicrafts and textiles and garments and stuff like that but not for, and we don't see that today. India pays a duty, it's, a, it's not a tariff, there doesn't seem to be across the board tariff, but they pay duties based on each HTS classification. I think the political constraints will remain when you have two large countries and two powers, political powers, there's gonna be always have to be a give and take, it's not gonna be easy, but the one encouraging thing is trade talks have been very active. U.S. now post 9-11 sees India as a watchdog and an ally in that part of the world. I've heard that India after Japan is the second largest country in terms of joint military exercises in the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean with the U.S. So there's a lot of mutual needs to work with each other. Sure. Uh, my advice for U.S. companies is don't go to India with a U.S. lens and drive on the highway and say, oh, right. my God, there are potholes. Oh, my <laughs> right, God. Right, right, right. And what do I do about the cows? Yeah. Yes. Let the locals do what they do well. And if you yes. find the right partners, the right suppliers, the right uh, distributors to sell your products, they will figure out how to tackle India. We're not the experts on doing business on the ground. That's, but that's, that's the key, finding the right partner and leaving it to the experts. And that's where you come in too, Sandy. You know, uh, you will recommend the best partners in India for freight movement. Right, right. Likewise. <laughs> oh, that's great insight, Pradeep. Thank you. I, I look forward to seeing if your predictions of growth are come true and have you back on. on are you going to audit me? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to check in. And I make great. my own predictions. Good. Thank you for Good. joining us today. Really great insight on, on what's going on in India and really promising. Yeah, thank you, Pradeep. Thank Pradeep. you very much again.
Thanks, yeah. Steve. Thanks, uh, Andy. We'll see you again on a future episode of Talking Trade. That's what this show has been, and we'll see you on the next one. Good night, all.